It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Well, this morning, uh, I know on Tuesdays we typically go, uh, we're we're walking through Ephesians. However, uh, today we're actually going to look at one of the names of God. So sorry for the uh, transition. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, Jeremiah chapter 23, and uh, we're going to be looking at the name Jehovah Sikkanu, <clears throat> which is just kind of a uh, delightful, delightful name. And uh, Jehovah Sikkanu <clears throat> is interesting. Uh, we translate it, the Lord our righteousness. And this word only shows up two times in Scripture. And I want to show you both those times. I want to talk about this idea of righteousness. I know for the students, uh, Philip has walked through a whole session called Righteousness, but I just want to kind of poke at this idea fresh again this morning. Uh, so if your Bible's Jeremiah chapter 23. <clears throat> uh, in Jeremiah 23, uh, I'm going to start reading verse 5, uh, but this is, this is what God is saying through Jeremiah. He says, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. I love this concept. Jeremiah is talking, obviously, and he says, God is doing something. There's this coming Messiah. There, there's, this, there's this anticipation for something on the horizon. And what is it? Well, it is a righteous branch. And uh, I, I've walked through this a few times with a, with a variety of groups, but it's interesting that, uh, at least in my translation, the word branch is capitalized. And again, it's not talking about just some twig. It's actually talking about a person who's known as the branch. <clears throat> and again, it's not just any kind of branch. It's specifically the branch of an olive tree. And the reason that is so profound to me <clears throat> is because when you look at how an olive tree grows, uh, the olive tree, the life of an olive tree is based in the root system. In other words, what you see above the ground is not what you measure the tree by. You measure the, tree, the, the olive tree by what you see in the ground. So at some point, this olive tree is going to grow, 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 and after you know, 100 years or so, a couple hundred years, the, the, the trunk part of the tree is going to fall down. It gets all naughty and holy, and it just falls. But the tree is not dead because the tree, the life of the tree is found in the root system. And what happens is once the tree falls over, that which was old has fallen. That which is in the ground from the root system, it begins to spring forth a new shoot, a new branch. And here's Jeremiah talking, and God says, hey, I will rise up for David a righteous branch, a righteous shoot. There's just going to be this olive shoot that comes up from the stump. Of Jesse. Uh, and again, it's a righteous branch, which I think is important there. And he gets to the very end of verse 6, and he says, This is the name by which he, speaking of the Messiah, will be called. What is his name? Jehovah Sikkanu, the Lord our righteousness. So you get this fun tie in with this fact that here is the coming Messiah. He is a branch, he is an olive tree shoot, and he is our righteousness. 
that he is the righteous one. Now, if you turn over a few pages to uh, chapter 33, <clears throat> in chapter 33, we have the second instance where this name shows up. And if you think about it in the light of what we just read, this passage becomes phenomenal. Uh, I'll, I'll start, in, uh, start in verse 14. It says, Surely the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will perform that good word which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. And here is the good word. Verse 15, In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the earth. In those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell in safely, and this is the name by which she will be called the Lord our righteousness. Now, I don't know if you heard the similarities, but those two passages are nearly identical except for the very end. Uh, in chapter 23, <clears throat> again, it's, it's the exact same phraseology until you get to the very end. In chapter 23, it says, This is the name by which he shall be called, speaking of the Messiah. And what is his name? Jehovah Sikkenu, the Lord our righteousness. But in chapter 33, we get to the very end, and it's talking about the fact of here is Jerusalem by which this promise is coming into fruition. And what is the name of the city? Well, the name of the city, she shall be called Jehovah Sikkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Isn't it a profound thought that here in chapter 23, we have... God speaking about the Messiah, saying that he's the branch, that he is this olive tree shoot that is coming up. And again, the reason that is phenomenal is, uh, here's Jesus, he says, I am the fulfillment of everything in the old. That I didn't come to abolish the old, I come to fulfill the old. And it's, again, it's this great picture of the olive tree, <clears throat> that here's the branch, that the, the, tr the main tree stump has fallen over, but now there's this branch, there's a shoot coming out of the same root system. It's the exact same root system, but it's a brand new deal. It's a brand new branch. It's a brand new shoot. And it is the fulfillment of all that has taken place before it. That is the Messiah. And what is his name? Jehovah Sikkenu, the Lord our righteousness. And I love this idea that as you come thundering into chapter 33, <clears throat> God says, oh, do you know what's going to take place? The place where this Messiah dwells, Jerusalem. It's like the location takes on the identity of the one who is inhabiting it. That here's the Messiah. The Messiah comes into Jerusalem. And now the identity of the one who is the branch is, it's like he's, in, he's indwelling this location, and now the location has the same identity as the branch itself. Does that make any sense? In other words, God says, I am Jehovah Sikkenu. But by the very fact that he's indwelling this city, the city takes on his identity, his name. And the city is called Jehovah Sikkenu. I think that's a brilliant thought. Because if you think about this in terms of your life, you realize that he is the righteous one. And when the righteous one comes to indwell your life, you realize you just can't help but to become righteous. It's, again, it's like, like that idea of the holiness. That in and of ourselves, we cannot be holy. It is impossible for you to pull off holiness. And yet, how do, you, we, how do we become holy? We are called to be holy as he is holy. So how, how on earth are we going to try to pull this thing off? Well, you're going to be unable to. Unless you embrace the one who is holy. 
and in the embrace of the one who is holy, that which is holy takes that which is the location where the holiness is dwelling and makes the location holy. And so here's the God of the universe who comes inside of your life. And when the God of the universe comes inside of your life, he begins to make you holy. That's the idea happening here in Jerusalem. That God says, here I am. I am Jehovah's sick in you. I am the, the holy righteous branch. But when me, the holy righteous branch, goes to live and indwell the city, the city takes on the characteristics, the attributes, the identity of that which is indwelling it. That is amazing. And that's encouraging for us. Because how on earth are we going to pull off righteousness? Now, we know that God is righteous. Hey, we, we understand that. But if you need some passages, let me, I'm just going to give you a ton of passages this morning. <clears throat> uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 4 says, speaking of God, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is He. Do you realize that our God is righteous and upright? He is the holy perfect one. Uh, Hebrews 1, verses 8 and 9 uh, it says that, but to the Son, he says, so the, so the Father speaking to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. So here's Jesus, and the declaration about <clears throat> Jesus is that he's holding a scepter, right? So this is what a king holds. He's holding a scepter, and what is a scepter of? Righteousness. And he says, you have loved righteousness and you have hated lawlessness. What a great description of the kingdom of heaven. So, and then there's tons of passages, but, but we understand that God is righteous. He is holy. He is perfect. He is just. He is true. Hey, we, we understand that he is Jehovah Sikhanu. He is the righteous one. And we are confronted with the reality in Scripture that none of us can be righteous. Uh, for example, Isaiah 64, 6, classic passage here, but Isaiah says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. By the way, do you know what the word all in Hebrew means? All. <laughs> you guys are brilliant. Right? So all of us are an unclean thing, and all of our attempts at righteousness are not righteous at all. They're filthy rags. So the best that you and I can pull off, the best that we can somehow drum up in our own pockets and our own ability, is still filthy rags. Paul tells us in Romans 3.10 that there is none who is righteous. No, not one. As if the word none wasn't enough. Right? There's none righteous, including you, <laughs> is what Paul's saying. In other words, none of us can claim righteousness. None of us are good enough. None of us have the ability. None of us have... None of us have it in our pockets, in our own resource, in our own ability. The best, hey, the best attempt we have at pulling off our righteous life still stinks. It's filthy rags. We cannot produce this thing. And yet we know that God is the righteous one. And he is calling us into his righteousness, into his perfect standard. Uh, 1 John 2, 1 <clears throat> reminds us that Jesus Christ himself is the righteous one. He's, uh, John writes, he says, my, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an ad advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the righteous one. 
Luke 23, 47. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. Speaking about Jesus on the cross. Revelation 19, 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. You realize that here is God, our, our Redeemer, our, our Savior. He is the righteous one. He lives with a perfect, perfect standard. There is a perfect righteousness, a perfect holiness in his life. And yet we are called to be measured by that perfect holiness, by that perfect righteousness. And again, righteousness is whom God is. It's, it's his attribute, and it's whom he's calling us to be. We are called to be righteous. But again, as Isaiah says, we, we cannot be righteous. So how on earth is an unrighteous being going to ever be made righteous? Well, it's the Jeremiah 33 concept, that he is the righteous branch. And yet when the righteous branch comes to indwell Jerusalem, the city takes on his attributes. The city takes on his name. And the city bears his name. How on earth are we going to produce righteousness? How on earth are we going to live up to this perfect standard that God has for us? Well, that's impossible. I know. <laughs> I know. And yet it's possible because it's not us. Uh, Isaiah 61.10. I love this. <clears throat> it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Do you realize that here's Isaiah and he says, hey, there's none righteous, no, not one. That, that the, best, the best we can pull off is filthy rag stuff. But then God through Isaiah says, but you have been clothed with the garments of salvation. That God has taken his robe of righteousness and put that upon your shoulders, and he's wrapped you in this garment called righteousness. By the way, do you know who he's speaking of? Jesus. That Jesus himself is our robe of righteousness. He is the righteous one that literally envelops us. And as long as we remain in him, in Christ, then the robe of righteousness and its effectual work will allow us to discover that we ourselves have been made righteous. Why? Because we've been covered with his righteousness. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But because of him you are in Christ Jesus, whom God made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Do you know who Jesus is in our life? He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. Philippians 1.11 says, Being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, for the glory and the praise of God. Do you realize that our righteousness, we are filled with the fruit of righteousness, which only comes through Jesus Christ. That the only way righteousness is ever going to be produced in and through our lives is because of Jesus Christ, smack dab in the middle of our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.21 uh, I, I love verse 17 has this idea that, hey, we are brand new cre creatures, creations in Christ Jesus. That the old has passed away. Behold, the new things have come. 
that what, what used to define me, my old identity, all my habits, all, all my past stuff, no longer is defining the new reality of my life. That there's been a line drawn in the sand, and who I once was is no longer who I now am. And yeah, I may look the same, I may smell the same, but I am not the same, says Paul. And as he's talking about this I, I, idea that I'm a brand new creature, I'm a brand new creation, that all, all things have become made new. He, he says at the very end of, of this, uh, verse 21, he says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That in Christ Jesus, we find our righteousness. That he took on our sin and we took on his righteousness. What a phenomenal reality. That no longer sin has to define my life. No longer do I have to walk in the junk of this world. I can now walk in freedom and triumph and peace and hope and, and tr victory. Why? Because I have his righteousness in him. Uh, Ephesians 4. Uh, toward the end of Ephesians 4, Paul begins to use clothing language. And he says that you are to put off the former man. Hey, you are to take off the former things. Hey, you are to take off that former life that you've always lived. Hey, you are to take off that sin that, is, that has corrupted your life up to this point. So like an overcoat, just take that puppy off and just throw it to the side. But then he says in verse 24 that you are to put on something. So just as we are to put off the sin, what are we to put on? He says, put on the new man, which was created according to God what is this new man, new man created as? This new man was created in true righteousness and holiness. That this new man that we are to put on, which by the way is Christ Jesus. <clears throat> this new man was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you know what our lives are supposed to be marked by? Righteousness and holiness. It is only to be marked by the very life of God. Why? Because we are now the in inhabitation of God. And just as in the Old Testament, when, when, when the branch comes into Jerusalem, Jerusalem takes on the identity of the branch. Guess what's going to happen in your life when the God of the universe comes in, and indwells your life via the Holy Spirit? You're going to start taking on his life. And that the fruit, this nature of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is going to start oozing out of your life. Not because you're good in your teeth and trying to produce it, but because you have the life source within you. Now again, for clarity's sake, we don't become God. <laughs> right? Yeah, please nod your head. Right? So we're not becoming God-like in that sense, but his character is being formed within us. We're becoming Christ-like in our attitude, in our thought process, in our lifestyle, in our behavior, in, in, in the way that we act, in, in the way that we, we think, in the way that we talk, in the way that we it just Our life is becoming more and more shaped by him and his likeness. Now, that doesn't mean we become him. We understand that. <clears throat> but his character and his attributes is being forged within us. And we are taking on and exhibiting his life. Uh, Philippians, <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9 it's a great passage. Uh, Paul says, Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now get this. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness which is from God by faith. Paul says, I, I, I'm moving forward, and I'm counting all things lost, and it's not my own righteousness, because again, it's filthy rag stuff. He says, but what I have is not my own. I, I have his righteousness through faith. That what am I clothed in? I'm clothed in Jesus Christ, who has become my robe of righteousness. Uh, In Matthew chapter 23, it's interesting that Jesus is talking about this idea of not just merely acting like and having the facade of righteousness, but actually having it. It's it's interesting that, you know, especially if you grow up in the church, you had this idea of like, okay, I'm, I'm called to be holy. So I will speak with, you know, a deeper voice and and I will sing, you know, the songs loudly, and, and I'll wear the right clothing, and I'll know when to stand up, and I'll know when to sit down, and I'll know, and, and I will act holy, and I'm going to act righteous, when in reality I don't have it. Jesus says, don't do that. Jesus says, have the real thing. Don't have a facade. Don't be hypocritical. Don't speak righteousness with your lips and not live righteousness with your life. That there should be a congruency between that which comes out of my mouth and that which comes out of my life. And so Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28, Jesus is looking at the Pharisees, and he says, Woe to you! And you know what the word woe means? Woe is one of those words that when you actually hear the declaration, you can't help but go, whoa. In other words, this is, this is a big deal. <clears throat> but Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs! Which appear, which, which indeed appear beautifully outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are all full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And of course, Jesus is talking about the custom where, you know, as people, as the tourists came down to Jerusalem for all the festivals and uh, the season things, the, the holidays, they'd want to go visit the tombs of the prophets. And so the Pharisees, wanting to make sure that the Torah sites look really nice and pristine, right? They would go and they would whitewash the outside of the tombs. So that when we get to, you know, the tomb of Zechariah, we went, whoa, look how nice the tomb of Zechariah is, right? And, and you know, so it's, it's, a, it's a nice thing. And Jesus is comparing that concept with their life. And he says, hey, you know what you're doing? You are whitewashing your life so that the outside of your life looks, woo, it looks holy, woo, it looks righteous. And it, yeah, it looks all cleaned up. But inside, you are full of deadness. Inside, you are full of hypocrisy. See, you have this outward appearance, this facade of righteousness, but inside, you're just full of deadness. Jesus says, don't live like this. And you recognize that we don't have to live like this because we have the righteous one living within us, which means we don't have to have a facade. We can actually have the real thing because the one who is righteous has come inside of your life and he is desiring to make us righteous as he is righteous. He is desiring to take our life and measure our life by the perfect standard of his life and his word and say, see that area? That doesn't match up. Will you let me deal with that area? Hey, see this area right here? Will you let me at? Will you let me deal with this area? Hey, this over here, could you let me deal with this over here? And he wants to draw and shape and transform so that any, of our, any area of our life that doesn't match up to the perfect standard of his righteousness is being conformed, transformed, renewed, changed, altered, removed, whatever, unto his perfect standard. 
And we don't have to have the facade. We don't have to have that cheeky smile on Sunday morning and going, oh, everything is so great when inside everything's terrible. Yes, I'm living a great, holy, righteous life. Do you care to look on the outside? Just don't look on the inside. That we don't, as Christians, do not have to live this way because we have the righteous one living within us. And you realize that if the righteous, holy God has come to indwell us via the Holy Spirit, that this should affect every area of our life. This should affect how we talk. This should affect how we live. This should affect how we think. This should affect our attitudes and our emotions and our, our motives behind everything we do. I love what 1 John 3, 7 says. <clears throat> John says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. There's this great concept, this thought in here, that he is righteous, which is producing my righteousness. And what happens? He who practices righteousness is righteous. In other words, the righteous one is going to automatically begin to produce righteousness. And we look at their righteous deeds and go, oh yeah, they're righteous. Why? Because what is coming from the inside of them is righteous. In other words, it's not I'm doing righteous acts, therefore I'm righteous. It's I'm filled with righteousness, therefore I can't help but have righteous acts. Uh, we talked about holiness the other day. <clears throat> and again, it's, it's not I go out and do holy deeds, which make me holy. It's I embrace the one who is holy, he makes me holy, and I can't help but produce holiness. That holiness starts, holy things start coming out of my life. So if I want to be holy, don't go after doing the deeds of holiness. Go after the one who is holy, who will make you holy, and it will change what you do. And it's the same idea here. That don't go after doing righteous things because that's outward appearance stuff. That's the facade stuff. So don't worry about the deeds. Worry about getting tight and embracing the one who is righteous. And as you embrace the righteous one, he is going to make you righteous. You're going to be clothed with the robe of righteousness. And what's going to come out of your life? Righteous deeds. Which means, whoa, look, I'm righteous. But not because I'm doing the deeds. It's because I'm clothed with the one who is righteous. Make sense? Maybe one other thought here. <clears throat> Do you know that we are called to seek after righteousness? That this isn't a one-time deal, oh, bump my head on the altar, guess I'm good. That I am to seek after righteousness. That I, I am to pursue him. And you realize just as a branch needs to consistently abide, remain, dwell, stay connected to the, to the just as the branch needs to stay connected to the vine, you realize I need to be connected to the righteous one. That this isn't a, well, did, did you cling to Jesus once 10 years ago? Yes, I did. Oh, you're good to go. Right? That if you're going to remain righteous, you must continually be clothed with a robe of righteousness. Never once should we toss that robe of righteousness off. Because the moment we remove the robe of righteousness, we're back to filthy rag stuff. So what would it look like to consistently, continually, forever be clothed with a robe of righteousness? And again, over and over and over again, we are, we are called and reminded to pursue, to seek after righteousness, which is not some arbitrary thing as much as it is the person who makes us righteous. For example, Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I love that verse. 
I've often given the illustration. It's probably a cheesy one, but I still like it. That when you hunger and thirst after something, you realize, uh, in a natural sense, I hunger and thirst. So what do I do? I, I seek after food, and I eat it. Right, so I hunger and thirst. Oh, Chick-fil-A's down the road. So I drive down, drive down the road to Chick-fil-A. Right, I get their amazing chicken strips. Right, pop those puppies in. Oh, right, with a glass of lemonade. Right, obviously. Right, that's spiritual. <laughs> you realize the moment I hunger and thirst, right, I, I feel, and I'm now satisfied. I'm now filled up. But now there's a problem. <laughs> My capacity has increased which has caused me to hunger and thirst some more. So I go back to Chick-fil-A, and I pop the chicken strips in my mouth, and poof, my capacity has increased. Now, I am satisfied, but poof. Now, in the natural sense, you can only poof, 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 so many times, right? Until poof, right? You know, I don't know. Now, while there's a, there's a limit to the natural realm, there's not a limit to the spiritual realm. And isn't it an amazing thought that Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, which isn't just some arbitrary thing. Again, it's a person. But as I hunger and thirst after him, what happens? He satisfies me, and yet he increases my capacity, which causes me to hunger and thirst after him some more. So I go after him, and he satisfies me, and he fills me, but poof, you know, my capacity's increased. So I hunger and thirst after him some more. So I go after him, and he fills me, and he satisfies me, but poof, my capacity increases. Do you know what an amazing reality that is in the spiritual life? To be able to hunger and thirst after him and consistently be satisfied and yet never be fully satisfied. I love what Andrew Murray once said. He said, ask me if I'm satisfied in Jesus. He says, and I will tell you with every fiber of my being that I am satisfied with Jesus right now. But let us never hesitate to say this is only the beginning. That is the reality of the Christian life. That we should be pursuing him. That we should hunger and thirst after him. That as we hunger and thirst after him, he satisfies us. He fills us, which is so grand. And yet, he increases our capacity for him. Which causes us to hunger and thirst after him some more. The, the cheesy little illustration is, I got it from Stephen, but what would it look like to be a little fat kid in a pool of chocolate? whose only prayer is, oh, Jesus, increase my capacity. I love that. I could relate to that. But could I have with Jesus what a little kid in a pool of chocolate would have? Or here I am in a pool of chocolate, and as a little kid, you'd only have one prayer. Oh, increase my capacity. Can I have that with Jesus? that I would go after him and as I seek after him and his righteousness. It's not just, well, I got it once. I'm good to go. I bumped my head. But, oh, I see him. Oh, God, increase my capacity for you. Oh, let me be this little kid who hungers and thirsts after you and yet satisfy me, but let us never hesitate to say, this is only the beginning. Because it is. Romans 3.22 says, the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and upon all who believe, for there is no distinction. That this righteousness comes by faith. Seek after it. Go after him. 1 Timothy 6.11 But you, O man of God, flee these things. These things, he's talking about the things of the world. 
and instead pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. What are we as Christians to pursue? We are not to pursue the things of the world. We are to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. By the way, all those are attributes of him. That we should be marked by his life. That we should be pursuing him. So, so get this idea. In Jeremiah chapter 23, God says, I am sending this branch. And the name of the branch is going to be Jehovah Sikinu, the Lord, our righteousness. Why? Because all the way up to this point, we've never been able to be righteous. Up to this point, we've never been able to pull this thing off. The best that we've ever been able to do is filthy rags. But God says, I am sending this Messiah who's going to be your olive branch, this shoot that comes up from the stump. And what's going to happen is he's going to be known as the Lord, our righteousness. And when that branch inhabits the city in chapter 33, that city takes on the attributes and the characteristics of the branch itself, and the city is known as the Lord, our righteousness. What would it look like if you and I got so tight with the branch? His name is Jesus. What would it look like if our lives got so tight with him that the one who is called the Lord, our righteousness, would so indwell us via his spirit that his righteousness would permeate our life, his righteousness would change how we think, how we talk, how we live, that when this world saw our life, this habitation of God, they would say, the Lord, our righteousness. Because they see him dwelling in and through our lives. Do you know what we would call someone who lives like this? Probably we'd have to call him a Christian. Because a Christian is marked by his life. A Christian is marked by his holiness and his righteousness. A Christian is marked by consistently coming and bringing a light before the word of God saying, measure me by your perfect standard. Any area of my life that does not measure up, remove, change, transform. But I want to be known as the place where God inhabits, the place where God is righteous. What a phenomenal opportunity we have. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you that you are our branch. Thank you that you are the shoot that comes up from the root system. Thank you that you didn't come to abolish, you've come to fulfill. And Lord, we praise you that you are our righteousness. You are the righteous one. You are the rock that does not change. And Lord, we admit that we are unrighteous. We admit that there is nothing good within us. There are none righteous. No, not a single one of us. But you and your overwhelming love and mercy and grace has clothed us with your robe of righteousness, which is you. <laughs> and somehow as you indwell our lives, we take on the attributes, the nature, the character of him who indwells us. So Lord, I pray that your righteousness would be evidenced in and through our life, that your perfect standard, that your life would be marked inside of our life that you would change how we think, you would change how we talk, you would change how we live, not because we're girding our teeth and trying to produce righteousness, but because we've embraced the one who is righteous. And as we embrace the one who is righteous, we take on your name. We bear your name. We are known as Christians. Lord, would your life be evidenced in and through us in these days? Lord, this world desperately needs to see your righteousness. This world desperately needs to see your light and your life. And so, Lord, could you use us as crackpots 
to shine forth your life unlike ever before in human history. May this world know that you are still God of the universe because they see you living your life in and through my own. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to demonstrate, to embrace, to experience, and to have righteousness because you are the righteous one. Lord, may we seek after righteousness, not as some arbitrary thing, but because you are the righteous one. May we, like a little kid in a pool of chocolate, say, oh God, increase my capacity for you. And Lord, as Andrew Murray said, oh, may you satisfy us. Oh, may you fill us to the bottom of our being. But let us never hesitate to say this is only the beginning. We love you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.